Hey folks, I am Bo Cordell, and this week on Inside the Control Room, we talk to Thomas Goodhue, the executive producer of the NBC affiliate in the Atlanta market. Thomas normally produces news and sports broadcasts, but I caught up with him a few days after he'd produced a big high school football tournament. So we got to hear about the differences between producing live sporting events and scripted sports broadcasts. 11 Alive also produces a huge broadcast for Atlanta's yearly Peachtree Road Race. So we talk about that, as well as Thomas's thoughts for college students or anyone who is looking to get into the TV business. All that and more in this episode of Inside the Control Room. Welcome inside the control room with your host, Bo Cordell. Thomas, good to you. Thanks for being on the show. Yes, sir. How are you? Uh, doing well. So tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got there. Uh, my name is Thomas Goodhue. Uh, I, uh, I am executive producer for 11 Alive, the NBC station in Atlanta. I've been there now going on four years five years, I lose track. Before that, I was a sports photographer and producer at Fox 5 in Atlanta. Before that, a substitute teacher. And before that, a news producer. So somehow back all that up. There was Augusta in there somewhere where I produced news and uh, went to Augusta National a lot. And then uh, I was at UGA studying broadcast news. Somewhere in there, you, uh, you were my replay guy for two games at South Carolina State University. Before you fired me for missing nearly every replay ever asked of, and uh, one time promising you it was there, and I believe we even told the stadium to watch the scoreboard, and then I flubbed it again. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. I'm gonna, I'm gonna blame the replay controller on that, but uh -huh. it's really only the best guys. for your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, so you're executive producer at Eleven Alive. So you've gotten to work on a couple of really awesome projects here in the last uh, in the last month or so. Um, you're just coming yeah. off of a weekend at the Corky Kel, the Metro PCS Corky Kel Classic. Ooh, it's sponsored. I like it. Yeah. Well, uh, hold on. Now we also have the uh, the Red Zone brought to you by Otter's Chicken <laughs> and the uh, Gordo's Cheese Dip Scoring Drive Recap. Not that those have been drilled into my head, but I don't know what Otter's Chicken is, but please go eat it. <laughs> awesome. Well, so tell us a little bit about the production this past weekend, and um, you know, it's it's a bit of a departure from what you normally do, uh, so it sounds like a fun project you've been working on. Yeah, so normally I'm producing sportscasts day in, day out, you know, or, or parts of newscasts, stories within newscasts. This particular project, we took on... Um, Fox Sports South actually dropped it, and so we picked it up. It's nine games over three days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, the first two games were in Macon at the Mercer um, football stadium, and then two on Friday and five on Saturday at what was Turner Field, is now Georgia State Stadium. And so that went from 9 a.m. to 1 a.m. Sunday morning on uh, all day Saturday. So producing, um, helping out, doing what I can. It was, it was interesting starting out in Macon on the Thursday. I walk in and then, you know, I had to build graphics from scratch. This isn't what we do. Um, so our, our corporate graphics creation team 
they built our um, our look, and then I got the bug box from NBC, and so we arrive on to in Macon on Thursday, and I'm not kidding. These these kids were absolutely wonderful. It was their first week. This was their first ever production. The guy who was in charge, it was his second week on the job. Um, and they're literally introducing themselves to each other and then learning equipment three hours before we went on the air. Oh, wow. Um, and so we had absolutely no business whatsoever even getting on television, let alone looking as good as it did um, with, I mean, they were absolutely fantastic. But pregame, we were running around trying to show what their roles were. And quite frankly, I didn't know what my own role was <laughs> in the control room. Um, but we somehow pulled that off, even without a scoreboard that was tied to the bug box. So we had to manually control all elements of that. Um, we had a technical director who had never even seen the switcher before, and she punched a hell of a show. It was amazing to watch that all come together. It was like college, except actually done very well. Wow. So whose equipment were you using? This was all Mercer's equipment. Okay, so you're um, in the stadium yeah, here. They, they feed to ESPN3, um, and so they had an expression machine for grass. They have an incredible setup. I mean, I, how long ago were we in school? 15 years, 10 years, whatever it was, I feel old because they had fantastic equipment, um, switchers, everything, you know, everything was top notch. The only problem was they didn't exactly build in IFPs. All so right. during the production, we had a studio because the, the control room is a mile from the stadium. So we, I was on the phone with our uh, in-game host in her ear as an IFB. And, we, <laughs> and if we needed a report from the sidelines, we called our sideline reporter to tell him to get ready to be on television. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so yeah it was uh it was a lot of fun on that thursday and uh pulled that off um at the actual pulling the 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 um transmission of that game is interesting too because we actually had maz the macon station mm -hmm. plug in with a tvu backpack and then they had satellite as a backup, but we were using primarily the TVU backpack. Okay. Funneling it through MAZ into a TVU grid, shooting it over to XIA, our, uh, the sister, because we're sister stations. Yeah. And then we were broadcasting it. I don't know if there's ever been a game broadcast on television via a TVU backpack, but we pulled it off. It looked fantastic. And um, the only problem was I was on the phone with Master Control. And the delay was about 30 seconds from by the time we ran it through the TVU. Was it really? MAZ, got it to XIA. I'd be like, okay, we're going to go to break in three, two, one. <laughs> and then Master would be like 20 seconds later in my ear. Okay, we're in break. No way. So, yeah. It was All right. So you're coming out of the campus control room at yep. Mercer. You're going into an IP backpack, a cellular backpack. Yep. To MAZ. And then going from there to XIA in Atlanta. Yep. And then from there to your... To air and air. online. Wow. That's crazy. But then, so that was Thursday. And then Friday, we, um, we had a production truck. Um, and, you know, it was like two different worlds. Thursday, I am backseat 
directing. I'm like, we had, you know, a ref mic and the, the audio, audio girl just kept forgetting to punch up the ref mic. So I'm every time ref mic, ref mic. And then, you know, so to go from that hands on, Hey, we're talking about the quarterback. Give me a shot of the quarterback to then Friday. And these are professionals. And the first time I tried to do that and the director just didn't even look at me. He just kept doing his thing because I wasn't in the producer chair at first. I was working with Glenn Diamond, the uh, legendary Braves producer. Yeah. And so unless he said it, the director didn't do it. And so to see the, the chain of command go, you know, the way it should be, where it should funnel through and there should be a voice of reason in there. But I had to learn quickly to just shut the hell up and let the professionals do their job. <laughs> but The legendary Glenn Diamond. Man, I I can't wait to take him out for a nice cold beverage of his choice and pick his brain about those Skip Carey stories. But, yeah. um, you know, it's fun. His advice, you know, was when he turned over the control, the production truck to me, he was like, just take over. Just make calls and take it over. Sure. The problem was I didn't know. I, I have no problem taking over. I just didn't know what to say when I got there. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, it's like I... There are certain verbiage and, uh, you know, just things I still don't know, even after living in a production truck for two days, you know, the replays and all that kind of stuff. It was just, it was interesting to kind of watch, watch him work and then try and do it myself and replicate it. It's interesting that it's so different. Uh, a live sports production is so different from your normal live sports news production. Yes. I mean, it makes it makes the live sports cast feel, you know, easy and slow and, you know, scripted, scripted and re just not, not reactive. Yeah. I mean, we just, it's, we just did the Peachtree road race too. Um, and so, uh, I got a little taste of it in there, but I was only producing the finish line and just worrying about the talent. And so I've, I've been, getting in and out of product, you know, dabbling in it a little bit. And I really enjoy it. It's, it's crazy how you've got to be on your game. Like you come out of one game and you're exhausted and you're spent. And at the Corky Kell, you turn around, you have to do it right back again. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Uh, so I was working a, uh, a Super Bowl several years ago and I wish I could say that once, and, just once in my life. Uh, whatever. You've worked on that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Not in a production truck, though. Oh, well, yeah. You've worked at a Super Bowl. I was like uh, a photographer. Well, so I don't have a story about me doing anything at the Super Bowl, <laughs> but I have a story about overhearing a uh, conversation between the director for the game and the producer for the halftime show. And if you've ever heard, uh, maybe in the show notes, I'll post a video of what the, uh, the halftime show sounds like on headset. But it's absolutely insane. It's one of the most impressive things you'll ever hear because they literally have every single music beat counted out with a shot. Okay, so the director's not calling camera shots. They're calling music notes. So they're just saying, okay. Holy moly. They're, they're saying, all right, 16 and 17 and 18, go. And they're just doing this the entire thing. And they'll have, you know, 300, 400 shots for, for a halftime song. Um, and it's all laid out and it's all laid out. And, and so I was listening to rehearsals and at the end of the rehearsal, 
you know, so so this particular halftime was Beyonce. So at the end of this rehearsal, the director would go back through and say, all right, shot number 18, camera three, that was you. I need you to be a little a little bit tighter. There. Holy moly. Shot number 21, uh, camera six, you, you walked into my shot. You need to stay a little farther to the right. I mean, it was literally, he was going shot by shot, and Beyonce knew on every single note of the song where to be looking and which way your hair needed to be flying. I mean, it was... Wow. It was, so, having said that, after some of these rehearsals, I overheard the game director call into the, the producer of the halftime show because they were in different trucks, and he's like, hey, what you're doing is crazy. I could never do anything that scripted. <laughs> like, and, and that just on point and the uh the halftime director's like are you kidding i could never do anything where i didn't know where i was going next <laughs> that's awesome so that's a lot like what you're talking about with the difference between uh between, absolutely you know, a live sports cast that's scripted and then a uh, and i know it gets crazy with breaking news and stuff like that but um and then a game broadcast so it's fun to hear your perspective on you know well, coming off of a long weekend doing game production well, the, the, the director definitely, uh, I don't know how hands-on his previous producers have been, but I was, he was fantastic. I actually had a chat with him before, and I said, hey, if I'm calling for anything or doing anything stupid, just look at me and say no, okay? <laughs> and uh, he goes, um, the, we're at the end of the game, and the playback guy goes, hey, I've got a rollout for you. And I cover my mic and I turn him and I go, what's a rollout? No. And he goes, <laughs> he goes I got it. you, man. So uh, he goes to play it. And then I, I start calling for a break in the middle of the rollout. And he looks at me and he goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let it finish. Let it go. But like he, I mean, he was, I'd be like, um, you know, blue, then red, you know, for, for replay. And he'd be like, uh you know, we'd get through the first one. He'd go, nope, they're going fast. We've got to get out of it. And, you know, just learning that. Okay. And so next time I know I've got to keep an eye on how fast this team is going and they're trying to go up tempo. I need to be careful on my replays. Yep. Um, speed up the game. Speed up the game. And, um, and learning from Glenn, too, about timeouts and flow of the game and trying to establish a rhythm um, and actually got called out post-game by a coach in the post-game interview. They asked him about being on TV and the challenges of that, and he goes, well, there was no flow in this game. And really? uh, everyone, in the, everyone in the truck's like, oh, he just took a shot. And I was like, see, I didn't even realize he took a <laughs> shot at me. That's, that's how out of league I am. But, no, it, um, it, was, it was a fantastic learning experience. I really had a great time. That's fun. Glenn Diamond, of course, is the, he was the coordinating producer for uh, the Braves for years and years and years. I think now he's out in L.A., isn't he? Or is he still in L.A.? Uh, he freelances for Turner. Um, like he's doing the AL or NLCS, whichever one they have. Okay. Um, and uh, I think he's just dabbling in freelance. He's not doing anything okay. full time. I got to work with him a couple times. Um, in my during my time at the Braves Radio Network, um, so kind of got to work alongside him briefly. Uh, but yeah, he's he's awesome at what he does. Yeah, I um, I told him we we are gonna. He is gonna tell me every Skip Carey story he has. He's one of my favorite on-air personalities. I, I want to hear them all. Yeah, I've got some great. Uh, I've got a great blooper reel somewhere of Skip Carey that I think I've played you before. 
on the banks of the <laughs> the Mikosuke <laughs> River. Uh, I might, if I can dig that up, I might have to put that in the show notes too. Did I? Did we ever talk about the Peachtree Road Race production? No, I want to. You mentioned it briefly a minute ago, and I wanted to talk to you after it was over, but we never got the chance. So tell us a little bit about your setup uh, during that during that whole deal. So 26 cameras, 60,000 people running the world's largest 10K on July 4th. Um, we've got a setup at the finish line. So we have a stage there. We have a setup at the start line. And then we have uh, three spots along the race. We have two motorcycle cams. We have a runner cam. Um, two in the finish line at the meadow. Live from 4 a.m. to 11 a.m.? Something like that. 10.30 maybe. Uh, we, so we focus on the race for the wheelchair. They have wheelchair race. And then there's like the elite runners. So we focus on the wheels and then we do the uh, elite runners as, as almost a sporting event. I mean, we have analysts in that know, you know, who these guys are, what they're doing. And then we transition and it becomes more of the party atmosphere, almost like a coverage of a parade. You know, you just got, you know, fun hits, people dressed up and all that. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's my, I've obviously, I've been covering this race since I got to Atlanta I started out as the runner cam for it, actually running the race, and now I'm uh, one of the executive producers for it. And uh, it's it's fun in that I, I know what everyone is doing at every part of the day, and so when people have questions, they call me, "Hey, where am I supposed to be now? What am I doing?" Even though you email out a plan, mm -hmm. you know that's just what happens. And so that's kind of my role is just to make sure that everyone is in the right place doing the right thing. And then we have a primetime special that airs at um, 8, 8 o'clock that night before the fireworks show on July 4th. Okay. And um, the cool thing about that is so we have all these preview stories. It's an hour-long show. So what we do is we take day-of stories that we turn, but you can't fill an hour with day-of. So what we do is we run, leading up to the race to help promote it, we'll run stories about, you know, these feature stories, people who have overcome medical hardships to run or people that have run it in Kuwait in the military and are now back here, et cetera, et cetera. And so this year what we added, which was really a neat feature, we, we, we had a spotter at the finish line and they would pick these people out and we told them to come find us too, but you know they're going to forget. Right. And so we would then run their story, and then afterwards we checked in with them, and we recorded these like 45-second just testimonials day of. No way. So, so we actually, it was really nice to see, you know, you get to know these people in these beautifully, you know, we have some great storytellers at 11 Alive. You get to know them, and then afterwards that sweaty, raw you know, I just ran it, you know, what was the hardest part? Or, you know, if there was a specific part of the story, maybe they ran as a family, you know, that just that payback was really nice this year. I, I liked adding that touch. That's really cool. Tell me a little bit more about the live part of that though. So, so, well, first tell me how it was being the runner camera. <laughs> it was, uh, the years I knew I was doing it before the th day before that was a lot more enjoyable. <laughs> You don't just wake up, hey, you're on the runner camera today. Yeah, there was that one time where I think we either let somebody go or somebody quit, and it was like, hey, Thomas, uh, you got those shoes? You ready to go? And it was, that was the most painful year. Although, quick side story on that. 
I'm running. We didn't actually finish during the live portion of the broadcast. So with about a mile to go, I dump all of the gear. And this was back when we had a helicopter flying above me. It wasn't like a TVU backpack or anything. I have a antenna or an, you know, a transmitter strapped to me on a like little harness around my waist, firing up to the helicopter. And so I had like 50, 60 pounds of gear. We dump it with about a mile to go. And now I'm wearing a Peachtree Road Race number like 83, which they just gave me. <laughs> I'm 60 pounds <laughs> lighter. Finish. Yeah, and I'm dead last in the race, but I'm 60 pounds lighter and I'm like feeling great. So I start sprinting through everybody <laughs> to all these wave Z people. And you can just hear him be like, wow, he must have been injured. Look, he's an elite runner. He's flying. I'm covered in sweat. It's one of the greatest photos of me ever. I actually look athletic for the only time in my life. So that's my runner cam story. That's awesome. Um, so, all right. So, so then, and that was several years ago, then you literally had a transmitter on your back. You were running with a full, full weight camera and you were using the helicopter yeah. to bounce the signal to a microwave antenna at the station. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, how about that for a workflow? Wow. I have how times have changed. And you could always tell where I was because there is a chopper literally flying directly over my you head. You had to follow. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. All right, so how do it you was... do it now? Because, because this is kind of a technological engineering marvel that y'all are able to pull this off. In the span of three years, I mean, basically we're talking about TVUs now dominate our production. Um, we, for... Motorcycle cam, those are all TVUs. Runner cam, TVU. Um, along the course is microwave trucks. And then at the start, uh, uh, start and finish is satellite. The finish is definitely a, a satellite production truck. Uh, the start might be a microwave back to the station also. Um, so the real hero in all of this is the, the guys back at the station bringing in all of those feeds because you don't have that many intakes. And so there are specific times that we map out where they power down certain people to power people back up and they are just juggling shots the whole time. And it's, that part is mapped out. That's part of my job is to make sure that they know in this part of the broadcast, I need these people up. I mean, most of the, you know, we can get 90% of the crews up at any one time. Right. But with that many, I mean, you're talking about probably 12 to 15 live you know, live, live feeds in, uh, that's just more than I think they're equipped to handle. Yeah. Well, you only have a certain number of, of microwave receivers or. Right. So, so um, you have to juggle who's, who's transmitting it each time. And the, the, just the stage itself is an interesting layout because you've got three people on the stage two cameras, but then you also have to have a camera on the stage aimed at the finish line to just give you a shot. And so just, you know, and you don't have, it's not that wide. You can't jut out as far as you want to because they need people to be able to run by. And so just to be able to map out where the cameras physically are on the stage is, and where, you know, the chairs are, um, seeing the production guys with four different mesh nettings behind because the sun comes up right in their face. You need to drop off all that light behind them. Um, it's fun to watch that production stuff. 
especially because it's, you know, yeah, I, I don't know it that well. I just have to watch our engineers do it and they do such a good job of doing it. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. So the, uh, the multiple cameras at the finish line, are y'all switching a show at the finish line or are you home running all those cameras back to, back to uh, the station? So there's a finish line director in the production truck with me. And so everything coming out of the finish line is punched by him. Okay. So our control room is the overall director. And so he either punches up the start line, which is punched on location with a TriCast. Um, and so she was giving him one, you know, one look. And then the finish line was giving him a look. And then he's punching between the live trucks along the course, yeah. the motorcycle cam, the helicopter, and the runner cam. Gotcha. That's, and that's so, super cool. So there's a broadcast producer in the control room with him, and then I am um, kind of overseeing the finish line. Because that's, you know, the after 8 o'clock, the start line really becomes irrelevant as people leave and they start heading your way. Yeah, so you're producing the finish, and then you've got another... Uh, producer calling the show at, at the station. Yeah. So are you and a field, a field producers at Bo, at at every stop. Yeah. Too. So are you and on, we're all on a bridge. Yeah, I was about to say. So what kind of intercom are you on to hear all all this? So the the producers and field producers, we all dial into one bridge line, and um, and then I just try and stay out of the their way as much as I can, and just. Um, you know, cause it's chaos. It's, you're talking about six or seven people. And so, um, the mute button is, is key, <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's just how we do it. We all just dial into a bridge and then talk it through from there. Okay. And then when you talk about TVUs, that's literally just a backpack with, uh, some cell cards in it. That's taking the video signal and transmitting it over IP back to the station. Yeah. And I can't tell you how far they've come. I mean, they have come from a, oh yeah, we'll take the TVU, but they never work, to an entire broadcasts are now relying on it. I went to the Super Bowl in Houston, and all I took was a TVU, and we had a dedicated Ethernet connection, and it failed one time for five minutes, and that was, that was it. And we did uh, three shows a day out there, I believe. Wow. That's incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, we just, you just, satellite trucks are becoming a thing of the past. If, if you can get me a dedicated Ethernet line and a TVU, I'm good to go. Yeah, that's crazy. At, uh, you know, tenth of the expense. Right, right. You don't have to worry More. about satellite time or any of that stuff. You just broadcast whenever you want. And, and you're so mobile. It's incredible. Those guys have gotten, that's such a competitive field now too. I mean, you get, you get pitched on live view versus TVU. Um, the, the competition is so good that if you call them for tech support and they are, they'll send somebody, they'll send you a pack. They had five guys on site in Houston for the Super Bowl. I mean, literally the, the second I was down, I was getting swarmed with more technical help than, you know, it's like more doctorates and engineers <laughs> and i'm like i'm i'm just the guy that plugs in the camera just let me know when i'm good to go yeah but, uh, so who uh so which company are y'all using right now are you using tvu yeah we have tvu um 
and uh yeah it's it's they're good very cool you excited about the new falcon stadium yeah so uh we're still waiting to get in it for our fiber test so that's fun we open on saturday and we don't know if our fiber works we don't even know where our fiber drops are um which is interesting but um it looks awesome i've i've been in it three times now um it it looks so good on television i will say i'm interested to hear the feedback on the scoreboard um which looks fantastic. Is it a DAC board? Do you know? Yeah, it's a DAC board, and it's powered by mostly uh, mostly Ross gear. Uh, uh, it's too stinking high, and I don't know if anyone else will say that. But if you're in the lower bowl, your angle to look at it, you're never going to look at it. It's really? like the it's the anti cowboys, which really? is too in your face. It's too much. The, this scoreboard, if you if you don't know to look up, like if you just look up at your ceiling fan right now, that is the angle that you're looking at the scoreboard at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's too high. Interesting. Um, but man, it looks good, you know. Um, and on TV, it is going to pop with that natural light that they've got in there. Yeah, I'm excited. We'll be there for. Um, I'll be there for. I think their home opener. Um, so I'm excited to see it. Interesting to see the evolution of the treatment of media there too. I mean, they're, they've always been wonderful. You know, they feed us, et cetera, but like the press box, yeah, we wrap around the end zone. Really? Um, I mean, gone are the days where you get the 50 yard line suite. Yeah. Um, that, that's just money. You know, they, they've realized that they can, they're just losing too much money and the media is going to, you know, that's how times have changed. The media is going to cover them no matter what. You're the NFL or you're Georgia football. Right. So why do we, why do we have to look after you? You right. know, we're, you know, we don't need, they don't need you anymore. It's kind of an interesting change in dynamic. Um, but the other thing I really like about the stadium is that they're not pre-painting the field at all. So it'll be totally blank. And then for Atlanta United, um, they'll repaint it for soccer. And then for football, they'll repaint it again. Um, so you won't get those shadow marks on the field when Atlanta United plays or when the Falcons play. Yeah, that's cool. Just little touches like that that I, I appreciate. Yeah. So you were talking earlier about fibers. So in the normal, the norm, normally the way this works is y'all would just have what a fiber drop there that you would plug into. You would just get a, uh, SDI to fiber converter and go straight to the station. So you have a live. Yeah. Does it go through Vivix or anything, or does it is it literally straight to the station? We um, it runs, I believe it's straight to the station. Um, I, I don't quote me on that. I'm yeah. not sure, but it's uh, always live fiber fiber patch. That yeah, and you so you into. you you have somebody outside at the tombstone, and then you have somebody inside, and they just coordinate which camera they're using, um, and. And so we, you know, you get a menu from the stadiums. We just did this with SunTrust Park too. And you just pick, you know, which drops you want to pay for and which ones you don't. And it was hard, you know, it's expensive. It's really expensive. And you wonder at some point, it already feels outdated to buy fiber in a stadium when you have such strong cellular signals, such strong internet that, I felt like we wasted our money at SunTrust Park buying these fiber drops 
when every day we go, we fire up a TVU and we blast it back to the station and we don't need the second engineer on site um, because it's just gotten so good. It's, the only problem with that is when it's the Super Bowl and you've or you know what you know you got seventy thousand people, you can't rely on that, and so you have to pay and and get these fibers installed for a backup plan for when you are going you know when the big events happen. Yeah, yeah, makes sense because you know it, big events like that, you just it's still tough to rely on cellular for anything. Yeah. No. Yeah, that is so technologically advanced. That stadium they're talking about the the Wi-Fi there is just just crazy. Yeah, how good it is. I think they said that the best stadium in the NFL was Levi Stadium in San Francisco with 40 gig, and they've got 400 gig. Wow! So it's, it's, ten, it's ten times better than the previous best NFL stadium. That's nuts. Well, it's not yeah. far from Georgia Tech, and at one time, I think half the internet went through Georgia Tech. I mean, apparently, it's it's something crazy, the, the, uh, the throughput they have there. Family. Hey, uh, I, I'm about to uh, literally fly this morning to uh, Lake Placid, New York. Dude, so tell me what, what the plan is there. Um, going to a NBC shoot for the Winter Games with the bobsled, luge, and skeleton teams. Yeah, so tell me, since you are an NBC affiliate, tell me what the Olympics means to you. Uh, pretty much everything. They are my, <laughs> they are, you know, I, I, it's a shame we live in Atlanta during the Winter Games. I, you know, it's just not as big a deal as it is in some of our other markets, like Denver and uh, Minneapolis and Seattle. Man, that just is, but, uh you know, we send, we send people to every Olympics. We, you know, multiple crews, we do multiple shows. Um, it, it's a focus year round, you know, even when no one else is worrying about the Olympics, guess what we're doing today? Going to interview Christian Coleman, an Olympian who just beat Usain Bolt. It's like, um, it's such a focus for us. Um, and so we have a chance to get sit downs with, with Lolo Jones and Alana Myers and a bunch of these guys this week. And so uh, I'm going to shoot it for a whole bunch of different NBC markets, mainly because no one else was available because of the eclipse. I'm, <laughs> I think I'm like the 48th pick. But uh, they, I was with the chief photographer yesterday and we're wrapping up all of the lighting equipment, the batteries and you know everything that I never use anyway. And uh, I've got, I've got to relearn, you know, and remember my photography days. And uh, we've shipped a flag to the hotel for a backdrop when I get there. So for the interviews and things like that. And he's talking me through, you know, three point lighting and backlighting. And it was like being with Dan Kiever at UGA all over again. Uh -huh. was, uh, but uh, I'm nervous about it. You know, it's like you produce every day. It's big, and, man. It's the Olympics. It's the Olympics, and it's not what I do now. It's just, the the shooting part of it does you know it's it is like riding a bike, but it's, it's like riding a unicycle for me. It's it's hard. Don't forget your spare battery and your uh, your memory card. <laughs> that sounds like from personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Hey, so if you're a college student today, wondering how to get into the business, what would you tell them? Oh boy. Um, I know you go back to Georgia and, and talk to students. Yeah. So, so what do you what do you tell people who want to 
we want to do what we do. I say do everything. Uh, even when you don't think you want to do something, try it, learn it, be proficient at it. It might just get you a job and get you in the door. Too many interns just say, hey, I want to be on TV. And say, well, there are many routes to do that. And if you're not willing to produce or you know, edit or shoot, you're not going to get a job at all. Um, so the, the do everything part of it. And then now our, our focus is when we hire somebody, they spend a week, uh, maybe two weeks with the digital team. And so if you're not talking that language, it's so easy to say, oh, they're a millennial, they're young they're going to know how to do social media or they're going to be good at it. And uh, we're not seeing it. it the, it's not true. Um, for, for There's too many people that just aren't, still haven't embraced it enough to, to put them in and be ready to go professionally right away. And so those would be my two focuses, would be do everything and uh, digital, digital, digital. I mean, we have signs everywhere in our building that say digital first. And, you know, that's true. We, stream, we think streaming first before a newscast. We think breaking something on Twitter before a newscast. A newscast is starting to feel like the last thing we do. Is that right? And, and um, it's, it's in some ways, it's liberating. It's fun. You don't wait anymore. You just get... You just get it up, get it going. And, um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, I'll, I'll tell us, we had an intern who told a coworker of mine, she wanted to be an ESPN sideline reporter and that she'd be working at ESPN out of her first job. And so the reporter who's a good friend said, well, you know, have you gone to talk to the sports producer, i.e. me? And she's like, no, I don't need to. And she said, oh, Okay. You know, you might want to think about starting in a smaller market, you know, maybe trying to work your way up. And this is a direct quote. She goes, you're just being a bummer. I don't like talking to people like you. That might be the worst intern I've ever heard of. And I never got to meet her. I still don't know who she is. Wow. Otherwise, I'd give her a name and tell you not to hire her. I was about to say, is she on ESPN right now? <laughs> She's probably dropping out of English 102 or something. <laughs> Wow, that's, that's, that's all the bad that we hear about millennials. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of not great interns. Yeah. No. In my day, we worked, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Awesome. Some of it's for the good, you know. It's like those guys don't put up with all the shit we took. And, I, you know, they get paid now. <laughs> that's probably right. a good thing, you know. Right. Um, the hour, am I allowed to cuss on your podcast? Yeah, I apologize. Right. The FCC is coming for you. Um, you know, and, and some of that had to change. There's, there's a certain, um, expectation of working 18 hours a day that is changing and it's, you know, it's, it's shifting and family, it's getting easier to have a family. And, um, those are all good things. But, uh, you know, and I, I credit the millennials, quite frankly, for uh, bitching and complaining and making a making a fuss. That. Yeah, saying, you know, we're tired of it. So Thomas, good to you. Thanks for being on the show. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Inside the Control Room. Be sure and tune in next week as we continue the high school theme and talk to a teacher who runs an incredible broadcast program whose students stream hundreds of events each year. Until then... I'm your host, Bo Cordell. Have a great show, everybody.